Good morning. My name is Pastor Jeremy, and it's my privilege to open up the Word of God uh, with us this morning. Uh, long ago in a galaxy far, far away, when I was a child, there was a phone. There was one phone in my home, and uh, believe it or not, you had to pay for a caller ID to see who was calling you. And um, see, it's, it's nice today because we see who's calling us right away with the cell phones. And the reason that's nice is because we can decide whether or not we will accept the call or whether we will decline the call. Uh, recently, I don't know how I got on a list. Maybe one of you can help me. Uh, but I get this call from Blue Island. It's about like three times a week. And I'm like, is it my eye doctor? Is it, you know, that, that's, you know, is it John and Heidi Sebastian? You know, the only two people I know in Blue Island. And it's not. It's this recording that wants to uh, tell me that my warranty on my car is expired. And I'm, at first I thought maybe it was, but then I realized they were just trying to take advantage of me. So now I just ignore that call. Uh, but there are other calls that when they show up, I immediately would take them. I was in a meeting with uh, Charlton Young in my office, and my wife was texting me, and I said, hey, you can call, and I'll answer every time. You know, even if I'm in a meeting with Pastor Ryan, I'll answer if my wife calls every time. And so calls, whether or not we choose to accept them or whether or not we choose to decline them, depends really on two things. Number one, how important is the caller? And number two, how important is the information in the actual call? And if the caller is important enough, and if the call is important enough, we should accept it. Moses got a call. It's been a few weeks since we know. Do you even remember the call that Moses got? It's actually in Exodus 3. You have to look back. This is not where we're going to spend but our time this morning. But Moses received the call, and it's found in Exodus 3, verse 10. The call that Moses received is this. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is the call that Moses was responding to. He should have jumped on it immediately, but instead he was full of excuses. Uh, I'm not adequate. I don't know enough. People won't take me seriously. I'm no good with words. God responds to all of these very, very gently, and then uh, Moses reaches his final plea, which we're going to talk about this morning. He says, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Call someone else. He's not willing to accept the call. He wants to decline it. Each one of us have received a call from Jesus. If you've chosen to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he says to you, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Mark chapter 1. Go and make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28. You shall be 
my witnesses. Acts chapter 1. When we decide to follow Jesus, tied up in that decision is a willingness to work and witness for him. But so many of us have accepted God's call to save us, but have declined God's call to use us. This morning, we're going to look at Moses' call. We're going to see five reasons why Moses should accept his call and five reasons why we need to accept ours. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to hear from your word, Lord. Lord, you have called each one of us to do something, Lord, whether it be to travel to Romania, whether it be to uh, send a box to a child in need, Lord. There are ways all around us. You call us every day. Lord, help us to accept your call. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're in Exodus 4 uh, this morning. We'll be looking back at Exodus 3 a little bit, but we are in uh, Exodus chapter 4, and the title of this message is Accept the Call. Accept the Call. And the first thing you can jot down in your bulletins if you're going to take notes this morning is, accept, I must accept God's call because people are afflicted and suffering. People are afflicted and suffering. In Exodus 3, verse 7, uh, God is talking to Moses out of the burning bush, and the Lord said, 3, verse 7 says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. God's people are suffering. The people of Israel, who God calls his firstborn son, the people that he called to make his own. Uh, 4 verse 22, God says that they are his firstborn child, and they are enslaved. They're enslaved. There is an evil oppressor that is uh, enslaving them, who is bent on destroying God's people, and who is bent on destroying God's plan, and his name is Pharaoh. Pharaoh, let's not forget, Pharaoh wanted babies drowned. This is a wicked, evil man. He wants God's people dead. He wants God's purposes thwarted. He is oppressive. But our day is not so different. The only thing is that the ruler of this world, Jesus called Satan the the ruler of this world, there is an evil ruler He is still alive today, and he is still oppressing God's people. And his name is Satan. He's bent on the destruction of God's people. He is determined to derail God's plan. Does not Satan, whom Jesus called the ruler of this world, does he not work tirelessly to harass the helpless? And he's not picky. Satan will harass anyone. It doesn't matter if you're inside of the church or outside of the church. It doesn't matter if you're saved or unsaved. Satan is going to be uh, harassing the helpless wherever he can find him. Christians are afflicted and suffering. Many of you don't have to look out of your small group 
to see someone that is afflicted and suffering. Certainly you don't have to look out of the church. Some of us, most all of us, I bet you we don't even need to look outside of our homes to see somebody that is afflicted and suffering. As God called Moses, God is calling you to deliver his people. But unbelievers are also afflicted and suffering. Those that don't know Christ are enslaved. They're enslaved to their sin. Again, some of us may not have to look outside of our homes. We certainly, students, we certainly don't have to look outside of our schools to see somebody that is being afflicted and is suffering. And God loves them. God loves them. God wants them delivered. God wants them delivered because he loves them and he wants me and he wants you to be part of his plan to deliver them. Uh, my dad, uh, I was looking for a way to get this point across and I, um, I thought of my dad. We got a picture of him. Um, you'll notice the shirt. It's a Harvest Palest baptism shirt. I hope you're okay with me giving it to him. <laughs> no one was around. I just went in the closet and said, here you go. So my dad, he spent 43 years in Christian education, and when that ended, he was retired. And he's like, well, what am I going to do with all of my time? And so he just walked down, uh, he just drove just a few miles into a small city that he lives in Minnesota, and he walked into the jail, and he said, hi, my name is Dick Ritzema, and uh, I'm just wondering what you need. Complicated, right? Real complicated. And they said, "Uh, we need men to talk to men. My dad said, okay, can I tell him about Jesus? Yes, you sure can. All right, I'll see you Tuesday. And so he goes in, and he's just there. He has no idea if anybody's going to show up or whatever, but he goes there once a week, sometimes twice a week. And I I sent him a text message, and I said, Dad, he's been doing it for, I think, about three years now. I said, Dad, could you give me an estimate of how many people have come to Christ uh, through you going to the jail? to see these people that are afflicted and suffering. And he's like, I have no clue. I said, be conservative. He's like 10, maybe 25. But then he shared uh, with me a story of one of the very first people that came to Christ in this jail. He um, accepted Christ. He immediately asked for three Bibles. Uh, He gave the Bible to his dad, his mom, and his girlfriend. Uh, His mom is now going to church with my parents. Uh, He's still in jail. He's still in jail. He actually got transferred to a prison uh, down in North Minneapolis. He found two other guys that also came to Christ who were also uh, at the jail that my dad was at, whether or not the Lord used my dad to save them. I have no idea. They got together. They're like, hey, we need to start start a Bible club (laughs) here in the jail. We need to start this. So they did. They did. In those three years, he's earned his GED, and now he's studying to graduate seminary while behind bars. I asked my dad, I said, what's he in for? Second-degree murder. People are afflicted and suffering, and God is calling you. God is calling you to do something about those that are afflicted 
in suffering. And my dad would be the first one to tell you that there was nothing special about him. All he did was he got in his car, he drove to the jail, and he took with him a Bible and the gospel because he believed. He believed that people are afflicted and people are suffering. And the second thing that he believed, you can jot this down, is that he could be part of God's plan to deliver his people. You can be part of God's plan to deliver his people. We're talking about finding God's plan for our life. Well, a huge part of that plan is that God can use you to be part of his plan to deliver his people from their suffering. See, God's call of Moses is a a much bigger picture is actually playing out here when God calls Moses. Uh, Sin and suffering entered the world in Genesis 3. And God's plan to redeem humanity and to free them from this sin, to free them from Satan, started also in Genesis 3. Genesis 3.15, God says, I will put enmity between you. He's talking to the serpent, to Satan. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. Other translations say crush your head. And you shall bruise his heel. See, God made a promise right then and there in the garden at the very beginning. He's like, I'm going to make this situation better. That's the first promise of Christ that we have in the scriptures. Genesis 3 is where God's plan to deliver his people begins. And then if we fast forward to Genesis 12, we see the call of Abraham. Called Abram at this point. God says to him, I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. That is a huge promise. That is a huge promise. See, God's got a plan. God's got a big plan, and Pastor Ryan's done a great job of this, telling you, if you want to find God's plan for your life, you've got to get on God's plan for your life. And God's plan is to deliver those that are oppressed. That's God's plan. But when we fast forward to Exodus 1, when we fast forward to now, we see that there's something really, really wrong with God's plan. See, because God's promise in the garden and God's promise to his people, I'm going to make you a great nation. The only problem is that nation is enslaved. Things are not looking good. It appears as though God cannot deliver his people, either because he's not able or because he's not willing. And then God shows up. Then God shows up. Flip back a little bit in your Bible to Exodus 3, verse 7. Moses is looking at the burning bush. The angel of the Lord is speaking to him. And then the Lord said, these are such comforting words. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. And I know their suffering. See, God knows and God sees and God cares. But the biggest encouragement is verse 8. I have come down. 
I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then he goes to verse 10, he says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring them out. That passage reeks of the gospel, if you can say that. I have seen their suffering. I have seen their pain. I have heard and I have come down to deliver them from the evil ruler and to bring them to an amazing, amazing place. Moses is part of God's rescue plan. And God calls Moses because his kids are in trouble and they need to be delivered. He tells Moses, I've been watching Moses and my kids are getting killed. I've been watching Moses and things aren't looking so good, but I have come down and I'm ready to do something about it. I'm ready to take my kids back. Are you in? And Moses is like, send someone out. What? What? Send someone else? Moses, don't you remember 40 years ago? You knocked a guy out because you were so upset about God's people being enslaved. But now when God shows up and he says, hey man, let's go do it. You're like, send someone else. Send someone else. How has God called you to be part of his plan to deliver his people? I don't know what this is for you. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to tell you what it is. How has God called you to be part of his plan to deliver his people. Will you say, send someone else? Will you ignore the call? As a youth pastor, I work with a bunch of, I I work with students and I, I talk to their parents sometimes and I hear from the kids sometimes and I know this. I know that if a kid wants to drive their parent crazy, all the kid has to do is take the friend's calls and ignore the parent's calls. Right? Like, the parent, if, if the parent's trying to get a hold of you using the phone that they are paying for, and the kid's like, nah, it usually, the, the parent generally is not cool with that. Generally, my experience has been the parent gets pretty hot with that. But when a Christian ignores the call of God, do we expect that God would be cool with that? He's not. Looking at the text in verse 4, after Moses says, I'm not eloquent and uh, I can't do this, verse 14, uh, verse 13, he says, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. And verse 14 says, Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. I just want to stop right there and not read past that too quickly. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled towards Moses. You can jot this down. I must accept God's call because God's heart, towards, God's heart is hot towards me 
when my heart is cold towards his. God gets angry when Moses refuses his call. God's anger was kindled 25 times in the Old Testament. Some of the results of God's anger being kindled uh, once he sent fire into the Israelite, Israelite camp to consume them, Numbers 11. Another time God's anger was kindled, he sent a plague that killed many of them, Numbers 11. Another time that God's anger was kindled, he struck Miriam, Moses' sister, with leprosy, Numbers 12. At one point, God's anger was kindled and he sentenced all of Israel to wandering in the desert for 40 years, Numbers 32. He also gave up Israel to their enemies multiple times when his anger was kindled. In 2 Samuel 6, he strikes a person dead because his anger was kindled. All that to say, I think it's safe to say that you, uh, you don't want to kindle God's anger. You don't want to kindle God's anger. And when you refuse, when we refuse... God's clear calling to be part of his plan to deliver his people. God's not cool with that. He's hot. He's hot. He's called you. Maybe you need to open your mouth to a coworker. Maybe you need to come alongside someone that is suffering in your small group. I don't know. But are you ignoring God's call? Have you declined God's call? Because I'd hate for any of us to make God hot towards us. Apparently God's anger carried on for a little bit. Verse 24, just 14 verses later, um, it says, At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. I think we have to be a little bit cautious to... um, read this text as, because uh, he sends Aaron, God sends Aaron to Moses right after his anger is kindled, verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming to meet you, and when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and you shall be, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. Basically, Moses speaks for God and speaks to Aaron, and then Aaron speaks. And take in your hand the staff, which you should also do the signs. It would be easy to look at this and go, okay, God understood that Moses had shortcomings, and so he provided some, he, he gave him a buddy, okay, like Batman and Rob. He gave him a buddy to help him out. The only problem is is that's right in the middle of God being angry and God wanting to kill Moses. So I'd hate to think that, I'm hesitant to think that God gives Moses Aaron because he's happy. And it's also interesting to look at Aaron. Uh, What did Aaron do? Um, Exodus 32, Aaron would go on to make a golden calf and lead all of Israel into idolatry. Numbers 12, Aaron would go on to grumble against Moses' leadership. Aaron wasn't exactly great as Moses' sidekick. It's very possible 
that uh, Aaron was God's plan B for Moses. And that if Moses just would have said, I'm your man, God, here I go, that Moses would have gotten plan A. God's heart is hot towards us when our heart is cold towards his. And God has a heart to deliver his people, whether it's inside the church or outside the church. Our God has a heart for those that are afflicted and suffering. And we need to align our heart with his. God will be with you. He makes that promise. Ryan has talked about this in past weeks, but reason four to accept God's call would be that God has promised to be with me. Verse 14 through 17, he says, I'll be with you. I'll be with your mouth. He says it multiple times. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I'll be with both of you. He says, I'll be with, I'll be with you, Moses. I'll be with you, Aaron. I'll do mighty signs through both of you. This is a powerful thing for God to say, I'll be with you. Every morning, um, I take my kids to school, and I, I drop Levi off at one building, and then I've got to take Noel to another one. And so the two of us, we go on a walk. And it's just across the street or whatever. And it's very interesting that um, Levi wants me to go all the way to the door with him. And then I start walking with Noel. And every time without fail, Noel will reach up and she will hold my hand. And I walk with her and I walk there. We cross the street together. And then, I mean, she's like 100 yards, maybe less, from the entrance to her building. And I said, okay. I said, I got you. I'll, I'll watch you. You can go. And do you know what she does every time I say, I'll watch you? She looks up at me and she goes, no, go with me. Go with me. So now the weather is getting colder and it's really keeping me from getting back into the warm truck and getting back to my coffee, but because my heart is not as good as God's is. But being with someone is so much better, is so much better than saying, I'll watch you. And God doesn't tell Moses and Aaron, hey, go, I'll watch you. God tells Moses and Aaron, hey, go, I'll be with you. And that is an amazing comfort as we go. Jesus gives us this exact same thing in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. We've received a call from God to go and deliver his people. That is God's heart. God goes with them, and God will go with us, and he uses them in many, many mighty ways, and he will use you in many, many mighty ways as you accept the call that he's given to you. You must accept the call. Uh, last point. I must accept God's call because people, I'm sorry, because God can flip the story through me. I must accept God's call, because God can flip the story through me. This is probably one of my favorite things about this story. Um, I always love zooming out. 
okay? Instead of just looking in, I always love to zoom out and see the big picture of what God is really doing. And in order to see exactly what God is doing in this story, we have to zoom out all the way to Exodus 1, all the way to Exodus 13 and 14 to see how God flips the story. Uh, We love stories that flip. I don't know if you know that about us, but pretty much every great book and every great movie that's ever been made is about a story being flipped, and they're just stealing the gospel. That's all they're doing. Like, oh, it looks terrible. It's so bad, and it looks like they're going to die, and all of a sudden, in comes somebody to rescue. Stealing the gospel, making a lot of money off it. Started reading a book to my daughter this week. Um, She's addicted to it. I'm going to spoil the book because I think everybody in here is old enough to have read the book. But we're, we're just at the part now where Wilbur, the pig in Charlotte's Web, uh, realizes there's this old sheep that says, you do know why you're getting fat, don't you? They're going to kill you and eat you. Clown. Tension. Look at how worried little Wilbur is there. He's like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And Charlotte, the spider, just says, you're not going to die. I'm going to save you. And we love that line because the gospel's written on our soul. We love stories that flip. And Exodus, this is one of the greatest uh, stories that flip ever. I I put a chart together uh, to show us just how this story flips. Before the call of Moses, God's family arrives in Exodus 1. How many are there? There's 70 of them. Not a ton for a nation that's going to bless the entire world. Pharaoh, at the beginning of this story, is oppressing God's firstborn son. Pharaoh, at the beginning of this story, before the call of Moses, Pharaoh is drowning Hebrew babies. And God's people are enslaved. That's the beginning of the story. It's not looking so good. And then God shows up. And he calls a man, and he says, go, and I'll be with you, and we're going to deliver the people. And Moses, even though he's reluctant, God does still get his way. And after the call of Moses, Exodus 12, they leave. They go from 70 to 600,000. So God was multiplying them as he was there. I love this. I don't know if it makes me sick or something like that. You'll have to forgive me. I'm one of six boys, and we're also very competitive. But I just love that. that I love that we serve a God that gets even. I really do. I love that we serve a God that when his firstborn son is being oppressed, that God is watching and that God does something about it and that God kills Pharaoh's firstborn son because he's watching and he's got our back. Pharaoh throws Hebrew boys into the Nile. God throws Egyptian men into the Red Sea and throws Pharaoh into the Red Sea. It's very interesting that at the beginning of it, uh, I, I would imagine that the Hebrew women, as their babies were being thrown into the Nile, I would imagine that they were weeping terribly after 
God shows up and does his thing, they're dancing and singing, and Miriam is leading them in that. God's people start out enslaved, but at the end, God's people are freed. We serve a God that flips stories. He flips stories. We worship a story-flipping God. We worship a God that writes awesome endings to terrible beginnings. God uses people. You are God's plan. You are God's plan to deliver his people from oppression, whether that oppression be physical, whether it be spiritual, whether the person be saved or unsaved. You are God's plan to deliver his people. You might say, but I I don't feel qualified. Join the club. But I'm I'm not really excited about this. I'm pretty hesitant about it. Join, Join the club. Nobody is qualified to do anything for God. You might say to God, but I'm unworthy. To which he replies, yep, you sure are. But I'm inadequate. Yep, yep. You're that too. But you're God's plan. You're God's plan to deliver his people. You're God's plan. Our confidence is never supposed to be in us in the first place, but in God. If you notice, all five of these reasons for why you would accept God's call have nothing to do with you and have everything to do with God. We just have to take care of being present, and God will take care of the power. Just accept the call. But are you willing? Or will you say, send someone else? I can't imagine what Moses would have lost out on had God said, okay, I'll send someone else. Be watching sheep. I mean, how bored would Moses have been if, he would have, if God would have said, okay, I'll send someone else. You watch the sheep down here. I'll send somebody else to do ten plagues and deliver my people and climb the mountain. And we would have missed a huge opportunity. Moses was filled with excuses. And when God calls us to do something, we're filled with excuses too. It could be uh, apathy, ignorance, incompetence. could be fear. But all of these are not good reasons to not work and witness for Christ. I do not know. I do not know how God is calling you. I really worked hard to close this sermon with like, and I'm going to be real specific on five ways that they could answer the call, but um, I don't know what God is calling you to. I don't know what the Spirit of God is calling you to do. All I know is this. People are oppressed and people are suffering. And you can be part of God's plan to deliver them. And I do it, whatever God's calling you to do, maybe it's in your home, maybe it's in your school, maybe it's in Romania, maybe it's 20 Operation Christmas child boxes. 
I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. But whatever God is calling you to now, accept the call. And if you're like, well, God's not calling me to anything now. I really, I really don't feel God calling me to anything right now. You know, Pastor Mark pointed out to me this week that uh, you know, Moses spent 40 years in that desert not hearing much of anything where he just had to keep doing what he was doing. But there was one day, there was one day where he had to say yes. There was one day that he had to say yes, and it changed the rest of his life, and it changed the lives of others as well. So maybe you're not going to get your call today, but will you commit? Will you commit that when you hear God's voice, when you hear from him to do something big, that you won't have an argument with him? That you'll just say yes and go? How is God calling you? How is God calling you to be part of his plan? Who's suffering? Who's oppressed? Will you accept the call? And watch God flip a story through you? I hope so. Let's pray.